CD5. Messages flying across the sky. They were an abomination unto Nuggan. The logic sounded impeccable to Polly as she helped Wazza to dig two graves. Prayers from the faithful ascended unto Nuggan, going upwards. A variety of unseen things, such as sanctity and grace, and a list of this week's abominations, descended from Nuggan to the faithful, going downwards. What was forbidden was messages from one human to another going, as it were, sideways. There could be collisions. If you believe in Nuggan, that is. If you believed in prayer. Wazza's real name was Alice, she confided as she dug, but it was hard to apply the name to a small, stick-thin lad with a bad haircut and not much skill with a shovel, who had a habit of standing just slightly too close to you and stared just slightly to the left of your face when she talked to you. Wazza believed in prayer. She believed in everything. That made her kind of awkward to talk to if you didn't, but Polly felt she should make the effort. "'How old are you, Was?' she said, shoveling dirt. Nineteen, Polly,' said Wazza. "'Why do you join?' "'The Duchess told me to,' said Wazza. "'That was why people didn't talk to Wazza much. "'Was, you do know that wearing men's clothes is an abomination, don't you?' "'Thank you for reminding me, Polly,' said Wazza, without a trace of irony. "'But the Duchess told me that nothing I do will be held abominable in pursuit of my quest.' A quest, eh? said Polly, trying to sound jovial. And what kind of quest is that? I'm to take command of the army, said Wazza. Hairs rose on the back of Polly's neck. Yes, she said. Yeah, the Duchess stepped out of her picture when I was asleep, and she told me to go at once to Connect, said Wazza. The little mother spoke to me, Oz. She commanded me. She guides my steps. She led me out of vile slavery. How can that be an abomination? She's got a sword, thought Polly, and a shovel. This needs careful handling. That's nice, she said. And, and I must tell you that I never in my life have I felt such love and camaraderie, Wazza went on earnestly. These few days have been the happiest of my life. You have all shown me such kindness, such gentleness. The little mother guides me. She guides us all, Oz. You do believe that too, don't you? The moonlight revealed the tracks of tears and the grime on Wazza's cheeks. Um, said Polly, and sought wildly for a way to avoid lying. She found it. Er, you know I want to find Paul, she said. Yes, and that does you credit. The Duchess knows, said Wazza quickly. Yes, well, yes, I'm... Also doing it for the Duchess, said Polly, feeling wretched. I think about the Duchess all the time, I must admit. Well, that was true. It just wasn't honest. I'm so very glad to hear that, Oz, because I had thought you were a backslider, said Wazza. But you said that with such conviction. Perhaps this would be the time for us to get down on our knees and... Was you're standing in another man's grave, said Polly. There's a time and place, you know. Let's get back to the others, eh? The happiest days of her life had been spent tramping through forests, digging graves, and trying to dodge soldiers on both sides. And the trouble with Polly was that she had a mind that asked questions even when she really, really didn't want to know the answers. 
"'So the Duchess is still talking to you, is she?' she said as they made their way among the dark trees. "'Oh, yes. When we were in plots, sleeping in the barracks,' said Wazza, "'she said it was all working.' "'Don't, don't ask another question,' said part of Polly's mind. But she ignored it out of sheer horrible curiosity. Wazza was nice, well, sort of nice in a slightly scary way, but talking to her was like picking at a scab.' You knew what was likely to be under the crust, but you picked anyway. So, what did you used to do back in the world? she said. Wazza gave her a haunting smile. I used to be beaten. Tea was brewing in a small hollow near the track. Several of the squad were standing guard. No one liked the idea of men in dark clothes sneaking around. Mug of Saloop, said Shufty, holding one up. A few days ago they'd have called it sweet milky tea, but even if they couldn't walk the walk, yet they were determined to talk the talk as soon as possible. "'What's happening?' said Polly. "'Dunno,' said Shufty. "'Sergeant Rupert went off over that way with the prisoner, but no one tells us groans anything.' "'It's grunts, I think,' said Wazza, taking the tea. "'I've done them a couple of mugs anyway. See what you can find out, eh?' Polly gulped her tea down, grabbed the mugs and hurried away. On the edge of the hollow, Maledict was lounging against a tree. There was this about vampires. They could never look scruffy. Instead, they were... What was the word? Deshabillés. It meant untidy, but with bags and bags of style. In this case, Maledict's jacket was open, and he'd stuck his packet of cigarettes in the band of his shako. He saluted her with his crossbow as she went past. Oz, he said. Yes, Corp? Any coffee in their packs? Sorry, Corp, only tea. Damn. Maledict thumped the tree behind him. Hey, you went straight for the man who was swallowing the cipher. Straight for him. How come? Just luck, said Polly. You're right. Try again. I have very good night vision. Oh, all right. Well, the one on the left started to run, and the one in the middle was dropping the clax tube and reaching for his sword but the one on the right thought that putting something into his mouth was more important even than fighting or running away. Satisfied? You worked all that out in a couple of seconds. That was smart. Yeah, right. Now, please forget it, okay? I don't want to be noticed. I don't particularly want to be here. I just want to find my brother, okay? Fine. I just thought that you'd like to know someone saw you. And you'd better get that tea to them before they try to kill one another. At least I was someone watching the enemy, Polly thought furiously as she walked away. I wasn't someone watching another soldier. Who does he think he is? Or she is? She heard the raised voices as she pushed through a thicket. You can't torture an unarmed man. That was Blouse's voice. Well, I'm not waiting for him to arm himself, sir. He knows stuff, and he's a spy. Don't you dare kick him in the ribs again. That is an order, Sergeant. Asking nicely didn't work, did it, sir? Pretty please with sprinkles on top is not a recognised method of interrogation. You shouldn't be here, sir. You should say, Sergeant, find out what you can from the prisoner, and then go somewhere and wait until I tell you what I got out of him, sir. You did it again. What? What? You kicked him again. No, I didn't. Sergeant, I gave you an order. And? Tea's up, said Polly cheerfully. Both men turned. Their expression changed. If they had been birds, their feathers would have gently settled back. Ah, 
Perks, said Blouse. Well done. Yeah, good lad, said Sergeant Jackram. Polly's presence seemed to lower the temperature. The two men drank their tea and eyed one another warily. You'll have noticed, Sergeant, that the men were wearing the dark green uniform of the 1st Battalion of the Slovenian 59th Bowmen, a skirmishing battalion, said Blouse, with cold politeness. That is not the uniform of a spy, Sergeant. Yes, sir, but they'd let the uniforms get very dirty then. No shine on the buttons, sir. Patrolling behind enemy lines is not spying, Sergeant. You must have done it in your time. More times than you could count, sir, said Jackram, and I knew full well that if I got caught I was due a good kicking in the nudges. But skirmishers is the worst, sir. You think you're safe in the lines. Next moment it turns out that some bastard sitting in the bushes on a hill has been working out windage and yardage and has dropped an arrow right through your mate's head. He picked up a strange-looking longbow. See these things they've got. Burly and strong in the arm, number five recurved, made in bloody ank more pork. A real killing weapon. I say we give him a choice, sir. He can tell us what he knows, and go out easy, or keep mum and go out hard. No, Sergeant, he is an enemy officer taken in battle and entitled to fair treatment. No, sir. He's a sergeant, and they don't deserve no respect at all, sir. I should know. They're cunning and artful, if they're any good. And I wouldn't mind if he was an officer, sir, but sergeants are clever. There was a grunt from the bound prisoner. Loosen his gag, Perks, said Blouse. Instinctively, even if the instinct was only a couple of days old, Polly glanced at Jackram. The sergeant shrugged. She pulled the rag down. I'll talk, said the prisoner, spitting out cotton fluff, but not to that tub of lard. I'll talk to the officer. You keep that man away from me. You're in no position to negotiate, soldier boy, snarled Jackram. Sergeant, said the lieutenant, I'm sure you have things to see to. Please do so. Send a couple of men back here. He can't do anything against the four of us. But that was another order, Sergeant, said Blouse. He turned to the prisoner as Jackram stumped off. What is your name, man? Sergeant Towering, Lieutenant. And if you are a sensible man, you will release me and surrender. Surrender, said Blouse, as Igorina and Wazza ran into the clearing, armed and bewildered. Yep, I'll put in a good word for you when the boys catch up with us. You don't want to know how many men are looking for you. Could I have a drink, please? What? Oh, yes, of course, said Blouse, as if caught out in a display of bad manners. Perks, fetch some tea for the sergeant. Why are people looking for us, pray? Towering gave him a cock-eyed grin. You don't know? No, said Blouse coldly. You really don't know? Now Towering was laughing. He was far too relaxed for a bound man, and Blouse sounded far too much like a nice but worried man trying to appear firm and determined. To Polly, it was like watching a child bluffing in poker against a man called Doc. "'I don't wish to play games, man. Out with it,' he said. "'Everyone knows about you, Lieutenant. Yours a monstrous regiment, you are,' he said. "'No offence meant, of course. They say you've got a troll and a vampire and an ego and a werewolf.' They say you, he began to chuckle, they say you overpowered Prince Heinrich on his guard and stole his boots and made him hop away and so altogether. In a thicket some way off a nightingale sang, for quite a while uninterrupted. Then Blouse said, ha, No, you are in fact wrong. The man was Captain Horence. 
Yeah, right. Like he tell you who he was, with you pointing swords at him, said Towering. I heard from one of my mates that one of you kicked him in the meat and two veg, but I haven't seen the picture yet. Someone took a picture of him getting kicked, squeaked Polly, drenched in a sudden horror. Not of that, no. But there's copies all over the place of him in chains, and I hear it's been sent by the clacks to Ank Morpork. Is... is he annoyed? Polly quavered, cursing Otto Creek and his picture-making. Well, now, let me see, said Towering sarcastically. Annoyed? No, I shouldn't think he's annoyed. Livid is the word, I think. Or raging? Yeah, I think raging is the word. There's a lot of people looking for you lads now. Well done. Even Blouse could see Polly's distress. Ah, uh, Perks, he said. It was you, wasn't it, who, um... Over and over in Polly's head the words... Oh, God, I kicked the prince in the fruit and veg, were going around and around like a hamster in a runaway treadmill, until suddenly it ran up against something solid. Yes, sir, she snapped. He was forcing himself upon a young woman, sir, if you recall. Blouse's frown faded and became a grin of childlike duplicity. Ah, yes, indeed. He was pressing his suit in no small way, was he not? "'He didn't have ironing in mind, sir,' said Polly fervently. "'Towering looked up at Wazza, grimly clutching a crossbow "'that Polly knew for a fact she was scared of, "'and Igorina, who'd much rather be holding a surgeon's knife "'than the sabre in her hand. "'Polly saw his brief smile. "'And there you have it, Sergeant Towering,' said the lieutenant, "'turning to the prisoner. "'Of course, we all know there is some atrocious behaviour in times of war, "'but it is not the sort of thing we would expect of a royal prince.' Lieutenant Blouse read only the more technical history books. "'If we are to be pursued because a gallant young soldier prevented matters from becoming even more disgusting, then so be it.' "'Now I am impressed,' said Towering. "'A real knight-errant, eh? He's a credit to you, lieutenant. Any chance of that tea?' Blouse's skinny chest visibly swelled at the compliment. "'Yes, Perks, the tea, if you would be so good.' "'Leaving the three of you with this man who's positively radiating an intention to escape,' Polly thought. "'Could perhaps Private Goom go and fetch?' she began. "'A word in Private Perks,' snapped Blouse. He drew her closer, but Polly kept her eye on Sergeant Towering. He might be bound hand and foot, but she wouldn't have trusted a man who grinned like that if he'd been nailed to the ceiling.' "'Perks, you are making a great contribution, but I really will not have my orders continually questioned.' said Blouse. You are my Batman, after all. I think I run a happy ship here, but I will be obeyed. Please? It was like being savaged by a goldfish, but she had to admit he had a point. Er, uh, sorry, sir, said Polly, backing away as long as possible so as not to miss the end of the tragedy. Then she turned and ran. Jackram was sitting by the fire with the prisoner's bow across his huge knees and slicing some sort of black sausage with a big clasp knife. He was chewing. "'Where's the rest of us, sir?' said Polly, scrabbling for a mug. "'I sent them to scout a wide perimeter, Perks. Can't be too careful if meaty boys got pals out there.' "'Which was perfectly sensible. It just happened to mean that half the squad had been sent away. "'Sarge!' You know that captain back at the barracks? That was... I've got good hearing, Perks. Kicked him in the royal prerogative, eh? Ha! Make it all more interesting, eh? 
It's going to go wrong, Sarge, I just know it, said Polly, dragging the kettle off the hob and spilling half the water as she topped up the teapot. Do you chew at all, Perks? said Jackram. What, Sarge? said Polly distractedly. The sergeant held out a small piece of sticky, black stuff. Tobacco, chewing tobacco, said Jackram. I favour black hearts to Jolly Sailor, cause it's rum-dipped, but others say, Sarge, that man's going to escape, Sarge, I know he is. The lieutenant isn't in charge, he is. He's all friendly and everything, but I can tell by his eyes, Sarge. I'm sure Lieutenant Blouse knows what he's doing, Perks, he said primly. You're not telling me a bound man can overcome four of you, are you? Oh, sugar, said Polly. Just down there in the old black tin, said Jackram. Polly tipped some into the worst cup of tea ever made by a serving soldier and ran back to the clearing. Amazingly, the man was still in a sitting position and still bound hand and foot. Her fellow cheesemongers were watching him warily. Polly relaxed, but only a little. And there you have it, Lieutenant, he was saying. No disgrace in calling it quits, eh? He'll hunt you down soon enough, cause it's personal now. But if you were to come along with me, I'd do my best to see it goes easy with you. You don't want to get caught by the heavy dragoons right now. They ain't got much of a sense of humour. Tea's up, said Polly. Oh, thank you, Perks, said Blouse dejectedly. I think we can at least cut Sergeant Towering's hands free, don't you? Yes, sir, said Polly, meaning no, sir. The man offered his bound wrists, and Polly reached out gingerly with her knife while holding the mug like a weapon. Artful lad you've got there, Lieutenant, said Towering. He reckons I'm going to grab his knife off of him. Good lad. Polly sliced the rope, brought her knife hand back quickly, and then carefully proffered the mug. And he's made the tea lukewarm so it won't hurt when I splashes it in his face, Towering went on. He gave Polly the steady, honest gaze of the born bastard. Polly held it, lie for lie. Oh, yeah, the Ankh-Morpork people have got a little printing press on a cart over on the other side of the river, said Towering, still watching Polly. For morale, they say. And they sent the picture back to the city, too, on the clacks. Don't ask me how. Oh, yeah, a good picture. Plucky rookies, Trans-Slovenia's finest, they wrote. Funny thing, but it looks like the writer man didn't spot it was the prince. But we all did. His voice became even more friendly. Now look, mates, as a foot soldier like yourselves, I'm all for seeing the bloody donkey boys made to look fools. So you come along with me, and I'll see to it that at least you don't sleep in chains tomorrow. That's my best offer. He took a sip of tea and added, It's a better one than most of the tenth got, I'll tell you. I heard your regiment got wiped out. Polly's expression didn't change, but she felt herself curl up into a tiny ball behind it. Look at the eyes, look at the eyes, liar, liar. Wiped out, said Blouse. Towering dropped his mug of tea. He smacked the crossbow out of Waz's grip with his left hand, grabbed the sabre from Igorino with his right hand, and brought the curved blade down on the rope between his legs. It happened fast before any of them could quite focus on the change in the situation. And then the sergeant was on his feet, slapping Blouse across the face and grabbing him in an arm lock. And you are right! Kiddle, he said to Polly over Blouse's shoulder, crying shame you ain't an officer, eh? The last of the fallen tea dribbled into the soil. Polly reached slowly for her crossbow. Don't. One step. 
One move from any of you, and I'll cut him, said the sergeant. Won't be the first officer I've killed, believe me. The difference between them and me is, I don't care. Five heads turned. There was Jackram, outlined against the distant firelight. He had the man's own bow drawn taut and aimed directly at the sergeant in complete disregard of the fact that the lieutenant's head was in the way. Blouse closed his eyes. "'You'd shoot your own officer,' said Towering. "'Yup. Won't be the first officer I've killed neither,' said Jackram. "'You ain't going nowhere, friend, except down. Easy or hard, I don't care.' The bow creaked. "'You're just bluffing, mister. "'Upon my oath, I am not a bluffing man. "'I don't think we was ever introduced, by the way. "'Jackram's the name.' "'The change in the man was the whole body event. "'He seemed to get smaller, as if every cell had said, "'Oh, dear,' very quietly to itself. "'He sagged, and Blouse slumped a little. "'Can I—' "'Too late,' said Jackram. Polly never forgot the sound the arrow made. Jackram laid the bow aside carefully. "'Found out who he was messing with,' he said, as if nothing much had happened. "'Shame, really. Seemed like a decent sort. Any salute left, Perks?' There was silence, and then a thump as Towering's body finally overbalanced and hit the ground. Very slowly, Lieutenant Blouse raised his hand to his ear, which the arrow had perforated en route to its target and then looked with strange detachment at the blood on his fingers. "'Oh, sorry about that, sir,' said Jackram jovially. "'Just saw the one chance, and I thought, well, it's the fleshy part. Get yourself a gold earring, sir, and you'll be the height of fashion. Quite a large gold earring, maybe.' "'Don't you all believe that stuff about the ins and outs?' Jackram went on. "'That was just lies. So what we do now is... Can anyone tell me what we do now?' "'Er, uh, bury the body?' hazarded Igorina. "'Yeah, but check his boots. "'He's got small feet, and these Lobenians have much better boots than us.' "'Steal the boots of a dead man, Sarge?' said Wazza, still in shock. "'Easier than getting him off a live one.' "'Jackram softened his voice a little when he saw their expressions. "'Lads, this is war, understand. "'He was a soldier, they were soldiers, you were soldiers, more or less. "'No soldier will see grub or good boots go to waste.' "'Bury em decent and say what prayers you can remember, "'and hope they've gone where there's no fighting.' "'He raised his voice back to the normal bellow. "'Perks, round up the others. "'Igor, cover the fire. "'Try to make it look like we were never here. "'We are moving out in number ten minutes. "'Can make a few miles before full daylight. "'That's right, eh, Lieutenant?' "'Blouse was still transfixed, but seemed to wake up now. "'What?' "'Oh, yes, right. "'Yes, indeed. Ah, uh, yes.' "'Carry on, Sergeant!' The fire gleamed off Jackram's triumphal face. In the red glow his little dark eyes were like holes in space, his grinning mouth the gateway to a hell, his bulk some monster from the abyss. He let it happen, Polly knew. He obeyed orders. He didn't do anything wrong. But he could have sent Maledict and Jade to help us, instead of Wazza and Igorina, who aren't quick with weapons. He sent the others away, he had the bow ready. He played a game with us as pieces and won. Poor old soldier, her father and his friends had sung while frost formed on the window panes. Poor old soldier, if ever I list for a soldier again, the devil shall be my sergeant. 
In the firelight, the grin of Sergeant Jackram was a crescent of blood, his coat the colour of a battlefield sky. "'You are my little lads,' he roared, "'and I will look after you.' They made more than six miles before Jackram called a halt, and already the land was changing. There were more rocks, fewer trees. The Connect Valley was rich and fertile, and it was from here that the fertility had been washed.' It was a landscape of ravines and thick scrub woodland, with a few small communities scratching a living from the poverty-stricken soil. It was a good place to hide, and in here someone had already hidden. It was a stream-carved gully, but at the end of summer the stream here was just a trickle between the rocks. Jackram must have found it by smell, because you couldn't see it from the track. The ashes of the fire in the small gully were still warm. The sergeant got up awkwardly after inspecting them. "'Some lads like our pals from last night,' he said. "'Couldn't it just be a hunter, Sarge?' said Maledict. "'It could, Corporal, but it ain't,' said Jackram. "'I brought you in here because it looks like a blind gully, "'and there's water and there's good vantage points up there and over there,' he pointed. "'And there's a decent overhang to keep the weather off, "'and it's hard for anyone to creep up on us. "'Military, in other words. "'And someone else thought the same as me last night. "'So while they're out there looking for us,' "'We'll sit snug here, where they've already looked. "'Get a couple of lads up on guard right now.' "'Polly drew first watch, atop the small cliff at the edge of the gully. "'It was a good sight, no doubt about it. "'A regiment could hide here. "'No one could get near without being seen, too. "'And she was pulling her weight like a proper member of the squad, "'so, with any luck, Blouse would find someone else to shave him "'before she was off duty. "'Through a gap in the treetops below, "'she could see a road of sorts running through the woodland.' She kept an eye on it. Eventually, Tonka relieved her with a cup of soup. On the far side of the gully, Wazza was being replaced by Lofty. "'Where you from, Oz?' said Tonka, while Polly savoured the soup. "'There couldn't be any harm in telling.' "'Muns?' said Polly. "'Really? Someone said you worked in a bar. What was the inn called?' "'Ah, there was the harm, right there. But she could hardly lie now. "'The Duchess?' she said. "'That big place, very knobby. Did they treat you okay? "'What? Oh, yes, yes, pretty fair. "'Hit you at all?' "'Eh? No, never,' said Polly, nervous of where this was going. "'Work you too hard?' Polly had to consider this. "'In truth, she worked harder than both maids, "'and they at least had an afternoon off every week. "'I was usually the first one up and the last one to go to bed, "'if that's what you mean,' she said. "'And, to change the subject quickly, she went on, "'What about you?' "'You know Munns?' "'We both lived there, me and Tilda. "'I mean, Lofty,' said Tonka. "'Oh, whereabouts?' "'The girls working school,' said Tonka, and looked away. "'And that's the kind of trap small talk can get you in,' Polly thought. "'Not a nice place, I think,' she said, feeling stupid. "'It was not a nice place, yes, a very nasty place,' said Tonka. "'Wasser was there, we think. We think it was her. "'Used to be sent out a lot on work hire.' Polly nodded. Once a girl from the school came and worked as a maid at the Duchess. She'd arrive every morning, scrubbed raw in a clean pinafore, peeling off from a line of very similar girls, led by a teacher, and flanked by a couple of large men with long sticks. She was skinny, polite in a dull, trained sort of way, worked very hard and never talked to anybody. She was gone in three months, and Polly never found out why. Tonka stared into Polly's eyes, almost mocking her innocence. "'We think she was the one they used to lock up sometimes in the special room. 
That's the thing about the school. If you don't toughen up, you go funny in the head. I expect you were glad to leave, was all Polly could say. The basement window was unlocked, said Tonka. But I promised Tilda we'd go back one day next summer. Oh, so it wasn't that bad then, said Polly, grateful for some relief. No, it'll burn better, said Tonka. Ever run across someone called Father Jupe? Oh, yes, said Polly. And, feeling that something more was expected of her, added, He used to come to dinner when my mother... He used to come to dinner. A bit pompous, but he seemed okay. Yes, said Tonka. He was good at seeming. Once again there was a dark chasm in the conversation that not even a troll could bridge, and all you could do was draw back from the edge. I'd better go and see to the loop, to the Rupert, Polly said, standing up. Thank you very much for the soup. She worked her way down through the scree and birch thickets until she emerged by the little stream that ran through the gully. And there, like some awful river god, was Sergeant Jackram. His red coat, a tent for lesser men, was draped carefully over a bush. He himself was sitting on a rock with his shirt off and his huge suspenders dangling, so that only a yellowing woollen undershirt saved the world from a sight of the man's bare chest. For some reason, though, he'd kept his shako on. His shaving kit, with a razor like a small machete and a shaving brush you could use to hang wallpaper, was on the rock beside him. Jackram was bathing his feet in the stream. He glanced up when Polly approached and nodded amiably. "'Morning, Perks,' he said. "'Don't rush. Never rush for Rupert's. Sit down for a spell, get your boots off. Let your feet feel the fresh air. Look after your feet, and your feet will look after you.' He pulled out his big clasp-knife and the rope of chewing tobacco. "'Sure you won't join me?' "'No, thanks, Sarge.' Polly sat down on a rock on the opposite side of the stream, which was only a few feet wide and started to tug at her boots. She felt as though she'd been given an order. Besides, right now she felt she needed the shock of clean, cold water. "'Good lad. Filthy habit. Worse than the smokes,' said Jackram, carving off a lump. "'Got started on it when I was but a lad. Better than striking a light at night, see? Don't want to give away your position. Course, you've got to gob a bundle every so often, but gobbing in the dark don't show up.' Polly dabbled her feet. The icy water did indeed feel refreshing." It seemed to jolt her alive. In the trees around the gully, birds sang. "'Say it, Perks,' said Jackram after a while. "'Say what, Sarge?' "'Oh, bleeding old Perks, it's a nice day. Don't muck me around. I seen the way you've been looking at me.' "'All right, Sarge. You murdered that man last night.' "'Really? Prove it,' said Jackram calmly. "'Well, I can't, can I? But you set it up. You even sent Igor and Wazza to guard him. They're not good with weapons.' "'How good would they have to be, do you think, four of you against a man tied up?' said Jackram. "'Nah. That sergeant was dead the moment we got him, and he knew it. "'It took a bloody genius like your Rupert to make him think he's got a chance. "'We're out in the woods, lad. What was Blouse going to do with him? "'Who'd we hand him over to? Would the lieutenant cart him around with us, "'or tie him to a tree and leave him to kick wolves away until he gets too tired? "'Much more gentlemanly than giving him a quiet cigarette and a swift chop where you go quick.' which is what he was expecting and what I'd have given him. Jackram popped the tobacco into his mouth. You know what most of the military training is, Perks, he went on. All that yelling from little spitbubs like Strappy. It's to turn you into a man who will, on a word of command, stick his blade into some poor sod just like him who happens to be wearing the wrong uniform. He's like you, you're like him. He doesn't really want to kill you, 
You don't really want to kill him. But if you don't kill him first, he'll kill you. That's the start and finish of it. It don't come easy without training. Ruperts don't get that training because they are gentlemen. Well, upon my oath, I am no gentleman, and I'll kill when I have to. And I said I'd keep you safe, and no damn Rupert's going to stop me. He gave me my discharge papers, Jackram added, radiating indignance. Me, and expected me to thank him. Every other Rupert I've served under has had the sense to write not posted here, or on extended patrol, or something, and shove it back in the mail, but not him. What was it you said to Corporal Strappy that made him run away? said Polly before she could stop herself. Jackram looked at her for a while with no expression in his eyes. Then he gave a strange little chuckle. Now, why would a little lad like you say a little thing like that? he said. Because he just vanished and suddenly some old rule means you're back on the strength, Sarge, said Polly. That's why he said that little thing. Ha! <laughs> and there's no such rule either, not like that one, said Jackram, splashing his feet. But Rupert's never read the Book of Rules unless they're trying to find a reason to hang you, so I was safe there. Strappy was scared shitless, you know that. Yes, but he could have slipped away later on, said Polly. He wasn't stupid. Rushing off into the night, he must have had something real close to run from, right? Oh, that's an evil brain you have there, Perks, said Jackram happily. Once again, Polly had the definite feeling that Jackram was enjoying this, just as he'd seemed pleased when she'd argued about the uniform. He wasn't a bully like Strappy. He treated Igorina and Wazza with something approaching fatherly concern. But with Polly and Maledict and Tonka, he pushed all the time, wanting you to push back. It does the job, Sarge, she said. I just had a little tate-a-tate -tate with him, as it were, quiet-like. Explained all the nasty things that can happen vis-a-vis -vis the confusion of war. Like being found with his throat cut, said Polly. Has been known to happen? said Jackram innocently. You know, lad, you're going to make a damn good sergeant one day. Any fool can use his eyes and ears, but you uses that brain to connect him up. I'm not going to be a sergeant. I'm going to get the job done and go home, said Polly vehemently. Yes, I said that once too, grinned Jackram. Perks, I don't need no clacky thing. I don't need newsy paper. Sergeant Jackram knows what's going on. He talks to them men coming back the ones that won't talk to anyone else. I know more than the Rupert, for all that he gets his little letters from HQ that worry him so much. Everyone talks to Sergeant Jackram, and in his big fat head, Sergeant Jackram puts it all together. Sergeant Jackram knows what's going on. And what's that, Sarge? said Polly innocently. Jackram didn't reply immediately. Instead, he reached down with a grunt and rubbed one of his feet. The corroded shilling on a string which had lain innocently on a woollen undershirt swung forward, but there was something else. For a moment, something golden slipped out of the undershirt's open neck. Something oval and golden, on a golden chain, flashed in the sunlight. Then he straightened up, and it was dragged back out of sight. "'This is a bloody odd war, lad,' he said. "'It's true there's not just Slovenian soldiers out there. Lads say there is uniforms they'd never seen before.' We've kicked a lot of backsides over the years, so maybe they really have ganged up and it's going to be our turn. But what I reckon is they're stuck. They took the keep. Oh, yes, I know. But they've got to hold on to it. And winter's coming home, and all those lads from Ankh, Moorpork and everywhere are a long way from home. We might have a chance yet. Ha! Huh. 
especially now the prince is dead set on finding the young soldier that need him in the wedding tackle. That means he's angry. He'll make mistakes. Well, Sarge, I think... I'm glad you do, Private Perks, said Jackram, suddenly becoming a sergeant again. And I think that after you've seen to the Rupert and had a nap, you and me is going to show the lad some swordsmanship. Whatever bleeding war this is, sooner or later young Wazzer is going to have to use that blade he waggles about. Get going. Polly found Lieutenant Blouse sitting with his back to the cliff, eating scabbo out of a bowl. Igorina was packing away her medical kit, and Blouse's ear was bandaged. "'Everything all right, sir?' she said. "'Sorry I wasn't. I quite understand, Perks. "'You must stand your turn like the other lads,' said Blouse, "'and Polly heard the quotes clank into place. "'I had a refreshing nap, and the bleeding, and indeed the shaking, has quite stopped. "'However, I do still need a shave.' "'You uh, want me to shave you?' said Polly, her heart sinking. "'I must set an example, Perks, but I have to say you lads make such an effort it puts me to shame.' You all seem to have faces as smooth as a baby's bottom, I must say. Yes, sir. Polly pulled out the shaving gear and walked over to the fire, where the kettle was permanently boiling. Most of the squad was dozing, but Maledict was sitting cross-legged by the fire, doing something to his hat. Heard about the prisoner last night, he said without looking up. I don't think the L.T. is going to last very long. What do you think? The who? The lieutenant. From what I hear, Blouse is probably going to have a nasty accident. Jackram thinks he's dangerous. He's learning, just like us? Yes, but the L.T. is supposed to know what to do. Do you think he does? Jackram stuck too, said Polly, topping up the kettle with cold water. I think we just keep going. If there's anything there to get to, said Maledict. He held up the shako. What do you think? The words, born to die, had been chalked on the side of the hat next to the packet of cigarettes. "'Very individual,' said Polly. "'Why do you smoke? It's not very vampire, really.' "'Well, I'm not supposed to be very vampire,' said Maledict, lighting up with the shaking hands. "'It's the sucking. I need it. I'm on edge. I'm getting the no-coffee jitters. I'm not good with woods in any case.' "'But you're a vamp... Yet, yet, if this was crypts, no problem.' but I keep thinking I'm surrounded by lots of pointy stakes. Truth is, I'm beginning to hurt. It's like a going cold bat all over again. I'm getting the voices and the sweats. Shh, said Polly, as Shufty grunted in her sleep. You can't be, she hissed. You said you've been going straight for two years. Oh, bl 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 blood, said Maledict. Who said anything about blood? I'm talking about coffee, damn it. "'We've got plenty of tea,' Polly began. "'You don't understand. This is about craving. "'You never stop craving. "'You just switch it to something that doesn't cause people "'to turn you into a short kebab. "'I need coffee.' "'Why me?' Polly thought. "'Do I have this little sign on me saying, "'Tell me your troubles?' "'I'll see what I can do,' she said, "'and hastily filled the shaving mug. "'Polly hurried back with the water, "'ushered blouse to a rock, and stirred up some foam.' She sharpened the razor, taking as long as she dared. When he coughed impatiently, she took a position, raised the razor, and prayed. But not to Nuggan, never to Nuggan since her mother died. And then Lofty was running across the ground, trying to shout a whisper. Movement! Blouse nearly lost another earlobe. Out from nowhere came Jackram, boots on but suspenders dangling. He grabbed Lofty by the shoulder and swung her around. Where? he demanded. 
There's a track down there. Troopers, carts. What do we do, Sarge? We keep the noise down, muttered Jackram. Are they heading up here? No, they went right past, Sarge. Jackram turned and gave the rest of the squad a satisfied look. Okay. Corporal, take Carborundum and Perks and go and take a look. The rest of you, tool up and try to be brave, eh, Lieutenant? Blouse bemusedly dabbed foam off his face. What? Oh, yes. See to it, Sergeant. Twenty seconds later, Polly was running after Maledict, down the slope. Here and there the bottom of a valley could be seen through the trees, and as she glanced down, she saw sunlight flash off something metal. At least the trees had coated the woodland floor with a thick layer of needles, and, contrary to popular opinion, most woods aren't littered with branches that snap loudly. They reached the edge of the woods where bushes fought one another for their place in the sun and found a spot with a view. There were only four troopers in an unfamiliar uniform, riding in pairs ahead and behind a cart. It was small and had a canvas cover. "'What's in a little cart that four men have to protect?' said Maledict. "'It must be valuable.' Polly pointed to the huge flag that hung limply from a pole on the wagon. "'I think it's a newspaper man,' she said. "'It's the same cart, same flag, too.' "'Then it's a good thing they've gone right past,' hissed Maledict. "'Let's just see them out of sight and creep away like good little mice, okay?' The party was travelling at the speed of the cart, and at this point the two riders in the lead stopped and turned in their saddles, waiting for it to catch up. Then one of them pointed back, past the hidden watchers. There was a shout, too far away to be understood. The troopers in the rear trotted up to the cart, met with their comrades, and all four turned to look up. There was some discussion, and two riders trotted back along the road. "'Oh, darn,' said Polly. "'What have they spotted?' The horsemen went past their hiding place. A few moments later, they heard the horses enter the woods. "'Do we run and get them?' said Jade. "'Let Jackram do that,' said Maledict. "'But if he does, and the men don't come back,' Polly began. "'When they don't come back,' Maledict corrected her. "'Then those other two will get suspicious, won't they?' One will probably stay here, the other will go to get help. Then we'll sneak up and wait, said Maledict. Look, they've dismounted. The cart's pulled in, too. If they look as though they're worried, we'll move in. And do what, exactly? said Polly. Threaten to shoot them, said Maledict firmly. And if they don't believe us? Then we'll threaten to shoot them in a much louder voice, said Maledict. Happy? And I hope to hell they've got some coffee. There are three things a soldier wants to do when there's a respite on the road. One involves lighting a cigarette, one involves lighting a fire, and the other one involves no flames at all, but does generally require a tree. Actually, a tree is not technically required, but seems to be insisted upon for reasons of style. The two troopers had a fire going and a billy can steaming when a young man jumped down from the cart, stretched his arms, looked around, yawned and sauntered a little way into the forest. He found a convenient tree and, a moment later, was apparently examining the bark at eye height with studied enthusiasm. The tip of a steel crossbow bolt pressed against the back of his neck, and a voice said, "'Raise your hands and turn around slowly.' "'What? Right now?' "'Um, all right, no. You can finish what you're doing.' "'Actually, I think that's going to be quite impossible. Let me just... uh, right. Okay.' The man raised his hands again. You realise I just have to shout? So, said Polly, I just have to pull this trigger. Shall we have a race? The man turned around. See? 
said Polly, stepping back. It's him again, de word, the writer man. You're them, he said. Them who? said Jade. Oh, dear, said Maledict. Look, I'd give anything to talk to you, said de word. Please? You're with the enemy, hissed Polly. What? Them? No. They're from Lord Rust's regiment, from Ankh Morpork. They've been sent to protect us. Troops to protect you in Borogravia, said Maledict. Who from? You mean from whom? Uh, well, you, in theory. Jade leaned down. Efficient, aren't they? Look, I must talk to you, said the man urgently. This is astounding. Everyone's looking for you. Did you kill that old couple in the woods? Birds sang. Far off there was the call of the female blue-capped woodpecker. A patrol found the fresh graves, said De Word. High above, an ice heron, a winter migrant from the hub, gave an ugly honk as it searched for lakes. I take it you didn't then, said De Word. We buried them, said Maledict coldly. We don't know who killed them. We did take some vegetables, said Polly. She remembered laughing about it. Admittedly, it was only because it was that or start crying, but even so. You've been living off the land. He tugged a notebook out of his pocket and was scribbling in it with a pencil. We don't have to talk to you, said Maledict. No, no, you must. There's so much you need to know. You're in the ups and downs, right? Ins and outs, said Polly. And you, the man began. I've had enough of this, said Maledict, and marched away from the tree and into the clearing. The two cavalrymen looked up from their fire, and there was a moment of immobility before one reached for his sword. Maledict swung the bow quickly from one to the other, its point hypnotising them like a swinging watch. "'I've only got one shot, but there's two of you,' he said. "'Who shall I shoot? You choose. Now listen very carefully. Where's your coffee? You've got coffee, haven't you? Come on, everyone's got coffee. Spill the beans.' They stared at the crossbow and slowly shook their heads. "'What about you, writer man?' snarled Maledict. "'Where are you hiding the coffee?' "'We only have cocoa,' said the writer, raising his hands quickly as Maledict turned on him. "'You're welcome to—' Maledict dropped his crossbow, which fired straight up into the air, and failed to hit anything, especially a duck. This is so unusual in situations like this that it should be reported under new humour regulations.' If it had hit a duck, which quacked, and then landed on somebody's head, this would of course been very droll, and would certainly have been reported. Instead, it drifted in the breeze a little, and landed in an oak tree some thirty feet away, where it missed a squirrel. Maledict sat down with his head in his hands. "'We're all gonna die,' he said. The troopers shifted as though to stand up, and Jade raised her sapling. "'Don't even think about it,' she said. Polly turned to the writer man. You want us to talk to you, sir. Then you talk to us. Is this about Prince Heinrich's socks? Maledict stood up in one mad movement. I say we grease the lot of them and go home, he said to no one in particular. One, two, three, what are we fighting for? Socks, said the writer, looking nervously at the vampire. What have socks got to do with it? I just gave you an order, Polly, said Maledict. What is it you think we don't know? Polly insisted, glaring at De Word. Well, to start with, you're just about all that's left of the ins and outs. That's not true. Oh, there's prisoners and wounded, I think. But why should I lie to you? Why did he call you Polly? Because I know a lot about birds, said Polly, mentally cursing. 
How do you know what's been happening to the regiment? Because it's my job to know things, said the man. What's that bird up there? Polly glanced up. I don't have time for stupid games, she said. And that's a... She stopped. Something was wheeling high above in the forbidden blue. You don't know, said the word. Yes, of course I know, said Polly irritably. It's a white-necked buzzard, but I thought they never came this far into the mountains. I only ever saw one in a book. She raised her bow again and tried to take control. Am I right, Mr. It's my job to know things? De Word raised his hands again and gave her a sickly smile. Probably, he said. I live in a city. I know sparrows from starlings. After that, everything's a duck as far as I'm concerned. Polly glared at him. Look, please, said the man. You need to listen to me. You need to know things before it's too late. Polly lowered the bow. If you want to talk to us, wait here, she said. Corporal, we are leaving. Carborundum, pick up those troopers. Hold it, said Maledict. Who's the corporal in his squad? You are, said Polly, and you're drooling and swaying and your eyes look weird. So what was your point, please? Maledict considered this. Polly was tired and frightened and somewhere inside this was all being transmuted into anger. Hers was not an expression you wanted to see at the far end of a crossbow. An arrow couldn't kill a vampire, but that didn't mean it didn't hurt. Uh, you're right, he said. Carborundum, pick up those troopers, we are leaving. There was a bird whistle as Polly neared the hiding place. She identified this one as the sound of her very bad bird impersonator, and made a note to teach the girls some bird calls that at least sounded real. They were harder to do than most people thought. The squad were in the gully, armed and at least looking dangerous. There was a certain amount of relaxation when they saw Jade carrying the two bound troopers. Two more were sitting disconsolately against the cliff, hands tied behind them. Maledict walked smartly up to Blouse and saluted. Two prisoners, L.T., and Perks thinks there's someone down there you ought to talk to. He leaned forward. The newspaper man, sir. Then we'll jolly well keep well away from him, then, said Blouse. Eh, Sergeant? Right, sir, said Jackram. Nothing but trouble, sir. Polly saluted madly. Please, sir, permission to speak, sir. Yes, Perks, said Blouse. Polly saw there was one chance and one only. She had to find out about Paul. Now her mind worked as fast as it had on the hill last night when she'd gone for the man with the code book. Sir, I don't know if he's worth talking to, sir, but he may be worth listening to, even if you think he'll only tell us lies, because sometimes, sir, the way people tell you lies, if they tell you enough lies, well, they sort of show you what shape the truth is, sir, and we don't have to tell him the truth, sir, we could lie to him too. I'm not by nature an untruthful man, Perks, said Blouse coldly. Glad to hear it, sir. Are we winning the war, sir? You stop that right now, Perks, Jackram roared. It was only a question, Sarge, said Polly reproachfully. Around the clearing the squad waited, ears sucking up every sound. Everyone knew the answer. They waited for it to be said aloud. Perks, this kind of talk spreads despondency, Blouse began, but he said it as if he didn't believe it and didn't care who knew. No, sir, it doesn't really. It's better than being lied to, said Polly. She changed her voice, gave it that edge her mother used to use on her when she was being scolded. It's evil to lie. No one likes a liar. Tell me the truth, please. Some harmonic of that must have had a home in an old part of Blouse's brain. As Jackram opened his mouth to roar, the lieutenant held up a hand. We are not winning, Perks, but we have not lost yet. 
I think we all know that, sir, but it's good to hear you say it, said Polly, giving him an encouraging smile. That seemed to work too. I suppose there's no harm in at least being civil to wretched fellow, said Blouse, as if thinking aloud. He may give away valuable information under cunning questioning. Polly looked at Sergeant Jackram, who was staring upwards like a man in prayer. "'Permission to be the man to interrogate the gentleman, sir,' said the sergeant. "'Permission denied, sergeant,' said Blouse. "'I'd like him to live, and I don't want to lose another lobe. "'However, you may take Perks back to the cart and drive it up here.' Jackram gave him the smart salute. Polly had already learned to recognise it. It meant that Jackram had already made plans. "'Very good, sir,' he said. "'Come on, Perks.' Jackram was quiet as they walked back down over the needle-carpeted slope. Then, after a while, he said, "'Do you know why them troopers found our little nook, Perks?' "'No, Sarge.' "'The lieutenant ordered Shufty to put out the fire immediately. "'It wasn't as if there was even any smoke. "'So Shufty goes and pours the kettle on it.' "'Polly gave this a few seconds' thought. "'Steam, Sarge.' "'Right, in a bloody great rising cloud. "'Not Shufty's fault. "'The gallopers weren't any trouble, though.' "'Bright enough not to try to outrun half a dozen crossbows, at least. "'That's clever for a cavalryman.' "'Well done, Sarge.' "'Don't talk to me as if I was a Rupert lad,' said Jackram easily. "'Sorry, Sarge. "'I see you're learning how to steer an officer, though. "'You've got to make sure they gives you the right orders, see. "'You'll make a good sergeant, Perks.' "'Don't want to, Sarge.' "'Yeah, right,' said Jackram. "'It could have meant anything.' After watching the track for a minute or two, they stepped out and headed toward the cart. De Word was sitting on a stool beside it, writing in a notebook, but he stood up hurriedly when he saw them. "'It'll be a good idea to get off the track,' he said, as soon as they approached. "'There are a lot of patrols, I understand.' "'Slovenian patrols, sir,' said Jackram. "'Yes. In theory, this,' he pointed to the flag that hung limply from the cart, "'should keep us safe. But everyone's a bit jumpy at the moment. "'Aren't you Sergeant Jack Ram?' "'Jackram, sir, and I'll thank you for not writing my name down in your little book, sir.' "'Sorry, sergeant, but that's my job,' said De Word breezily. "'I have to write things down.' "'Well, sir, soldiering's my job,' said Jackram, climbing onto the cart and gathering up the reins. "'But you'll note how at this moment in time I'm not killing you. Let's go, eh?' Polly climbed into the back of the cart as it lumbered off. It was full of boxes and equipment and while it may once have been neatly organised, that organisation was now but a distant memory, a clear indication that this cart was the property of a man. Next to her, half a dozen of the largest pigeons she'd ever seen dozed on a perch in their wire cage, and she wondered if they were a living larder. One of them opened one eye and lazily went, which is pigeon for do. Most of the rest of the boxes had labels like, she leaned closer, Captain Horace Calumny's Patent Field Biscuits and Dried Stew. As she was musing that Shufty would have very much liked to get her hands on one or two of these boxes, a bundle of clothes hanging from the ceiling of the rocking cart moved slightly and a face appeared. "'Good morning!' it said upside down. William DeWord turned around on the seat in front. "'It's only Otto, Private,' he said. "'Don't be afraid.' "'Yes, I will not bite,' said the face cheerfully. It smiled. A vampire's face does not look any better upside down, and a smile in these circumstances does nothing to improve matters. That is guaranteed. Polly lowered the crossbow. Jackram would have been impressed at how quickly she had raised it. So was she, and embarrassed too. 
The socks were doing the thinking again. Otto very elegantly lowered himself to the bed of the cart. Where are we going? he said, steadying himself as they bounced over a rut. A little place I know, sir, said Jackram. Nice and quiet. Good. I need to exercise the imps, said the vampire. They get fretful if they are cooped up for too long. Otto pushed aside a stack of paper and revealed his large picture-making box. He lifted a small hatch. Rise on shine, lads, he said. There was a chorus of high-pitched voices from inside. I'd better just give you the heads-up re-tiger, Mr. De Word, said Jackram as the cart rolled up an old logging track. Tiger? Who's Tiger? Oops, said Jackram. Sorry, that's what we call the lieutenant, sir, on account of him being so brave. Forget I said that, will you? Brave, is he? said De Word. And clever, sir. Don't let him fool you, sir. He is one of the great military minds of his generation, sir. Polly's mouth dropped open. She'd suggested they liked the man, but this... Really? Then why is he just a lieutenant? said the writer. Ah, I can see there's no fooling you, sir, said Jack, removing knowingless. Yes, it's a puzzler, sir, why he calls himself a lieutenant. Still, I dare say he has his reasons, eh? Just like Heinrich calling himself a captain, right? He tapped the side of his nose. I see everything, sir, and I don't say a word. All I could find out was that he did some kind of desk job at your HQ, sergeant, said De Word. Polly saw him taking his notebook out slowly and carefully. Yes, I expect that what you would find out, sir, said Jackram with a huge conspiratorial wink. And then, when things are at their worst, they let him out, sir. They unleash him, sir. Me? I don't know a thing, sir. What does he do? Explode? said De Word. <laughs> nice one, sir, said Jackram. No, sir, what he does, sir, is assess situation, sir. I don't understand it myself, sir, not being a big thinker. But the proof of the pudding, sir, is in the eating of same. And last night we were jumped by eight, twenty Slovenian troopers, sir. And the lieutenant just assessed the situation in a flash and skewered five of the buggers, sir. Like a kebab, sir. Mild as milk to look at, but rouse him and he's a whirlwind of death. Of course you did not hear it from me, sir. And he's in charge of a bunch of recruits, sergeant, said the word. That doesn't sound very likely to me. "'Recruits who captured some crack cavalrymen, sir,' said Jackram, looking pained. "'That's leadership for you. Comes the hour, comes the man, sir. I'm just a simple old soldier, sir. Seen em come, seen em go. Upon my oath I am not a lying man, sir, but I look at Lieutenant Blouse in wonderment.' "'He just seemed confused to me,' said De Word, but there was a hint of uncertainty in his voice. "'That was a bit of concussion, sir.' He took a wallop that would have felled a lesser man and still got back onto his feet. Amazing, sir. Hmm, said De Word, making a note. The cart splashed across the shallow little stream and rocked into the gully. Lieutenant Blouse was sitting on a rock. He'd made an effort, but his tunic was grubby, his boots were muddy, his hand was swollen, and one ear, despite Igorina's attentions, was still inflamed. He had his sword on his knees. Jackram carefully brought the cart to a halt by a thicket of birch trees. All four of the enemy troopers were tied up against the cliff. Apart from them, the camp appeared to be deserted. "'Where are the rest of the men, Sergeant?' whispered De Word as he slid down off the cart. "'Oh, they're around, sir,' said Jackram, watching you. "'Probably not a good idea to make any sudden moves, sir.' No one else was visible, and then Maledict faded into view.
People never really looked at things Polly knew. They glanced, and what had been a patch of scrub was now Corporal Maledict. Polly stared. He'd cut a hole in the centre of his old blanket, and the mud and grass stains on the mildewed greyness had turned him into part of the landscape until he saluted. He'd also stuck leafy twigs all over his hat. Sergeant Jackram goggled. Polly had never really seen proper goggling before, but the sergeant had the face to do it at a championship level. She could feel him drawing breath while at the same time assembling cuss words for a right royal thundering, and then he remembered he was playing Sergeant Big Jolly Fat Man, and this was not the time to segue into Sergeant Incandescent. Lads, eh? he chuckled to De Word. What will he think of next? De Word nodded nervously, pulled a wad of newspapers from under his seat, and advanced on the lieutenant. Mr. De Word, isn't it? said Blau, standing up. Pucks, can we manage a cup of, ah, uh, saloop? For Mr. De Word, there's a good chap. Do take a rock, sir. Good of you to see me, Lieutenant, said De Word. It looks as though you've been in the wars, he added, with an attempt at joviality. No, only this one, said Blouse, looking puzzled. I meant that you have been wounded, sir, said De Word. These? Oh, they're nothing, sir. I'm afraid the one on my hand was self-inflicted. Sword drill, you know. You're left-handed, then, sir? Oh, no. Polly... Washing out a mug, heard Jackram say out of the corner of his mouth, "'Should have seen the other two fellows, sir.' "'Are you aware of the progress of the war, Lieutenant?' said De Word. "'You tell me, sir,' said Blouse. "'All your army is bottled up in the Connect Valley, "'dug in, mostly, just beyond the reach of the Keep's weaponry. "'Your forts elsewhere along the border have been captured. "'The garrisons at Drup and Galitz and Arblat have been overwhelmed. "'As far as I can tell, Lieutenant,' Your squad are the only soldiers still at large. At least, he added, the only one still fighting. And my regiment, said Blouse quietly. The remnant of the tenth took part in a brave but frankly suicidal attempt to retake Kneck Keep a few days ago, sir. Most of the survivors are prisoners of war, and I have to tell you that almost all your high command have been captured. They were in the keep when it was taken. There are big dungeons in that fort, sir, and they're pretty full. Why should I believe you? I do, thought Polly. So, Paul is either dead, wounded, or captured. And it doesn't help much to think of it as two chances in three that he is alive. De Word threw his newspapers at the lieutenant's feet. It's all there, sir. I didn't make it up. It's the truth. It will remain true whether you believe it or not. There are more than six countries ranged against you, including Genua and Moldavia and Ankh-Morpork. There is no one on your side. You are alone. The only reason you're not beaten yet is because you won't admit it. I've seen your generals, sir, great leaders, and your men fight like demons, but they won't surrender. Borogravia doesn't know the meaning of the word surrender, Mr. De Word, said the lieutenant. May I loan you a dictionary, sir, snapped De Word, going red in the face. It's very similar to the meaning of the word making some kind of peace while you've still got a chance, sir. It's rather like the word quitting while you've still got a head, sir. Good heavens, sir, don't you understand? The reason that there still is an army in Knek Valley is that the Allies haven't yet decided what to do with it. They're fed up with the slaughter. Ah, so we still fight back, said Blouse. De Word sighed. You don't understand, sir. They are fed up with slaughtering you. They've got the keep now. There's some big war engines up there. They... 
frankly, sir, some of the Alliance would just as soon wipe out the remains of your army. It'd be like shooting rats in a barrel. They have you at their mercy, and yet you keep on attacking. You attack the keep. It's on sheer rock, and it's got walls a hundred feet high. You make salience across the river. You're bottled up, and you've got nowhere to go, and the Allies could simply massacre you any time they want, and you act as if you're just facing some kind of temporary setback. That's what's really happening, Lieutenant. You are just a last little detail. Have a care, please, Blouse warned. Excuse me, sir, but do you know anything about recent history? In the past thirty years, you have declared war on every single one of your neighbours at least once. All countries fight, but you brawl. And then last year, you invaded Slovenia again. They invaded us, Mr. De Word. You have been misinformed, Lieutenant. You invaded the Konek province. That was confirmed as Borogravian by the Treaty of Lint more than a hundred years ago. Signed at Sword Point, sir. And no one cares now in any case. It's all got beyond your stupid little royal scuffles. Because your men tore down the Grand Trunk, you see, the Clax Towers, and tore up the coach road. Ankh-Morpork regards that as bandit activity. Have a care, I said, said Blouse. I note you are displaying the Ankh-Morpork flag with evident pride on your wagon. Kivis Morporkias sum, sir. I am an Ankh-Morpork citizen. You could say that Ankh-Morpork shelters me under her wide and rather greasy wing, although I agree the metaphor could use some work. Your Ankh-Morpork soldiers aren't in a position to protect you, however. Sir, you are right. You could have me killed right now, said de Word simply. You know that. I know that. But you won't for three reasons. The officers of Borogravia tend towards honour. Everyone says that. That's why they don't surrender. And I bleed most distressingly. And you don't need to, because everyone's interested in you. Suddenly it's all changed. Interested in us? Sir, in a sense, you could help a lot right now. Apparently, people back in Ankh-Morpork were amazed when... Look, have you heard about what we call human interest, sir? No. De Word tried to explain. Blouse listened with his mouth open and at the end said, Have I got this right? Although many people have been killed and wounded in this wretched war, it's not been of much interest to your readers, but it is now just because of us, because of a little skirmish in a town they never heard of, and because of that we're suddenly a plucky little country and people are telling your newspaper that your great city should be on our side... Yes, Lieutenant. We put out a second edition last night, you see, after I'd found out that Captain Horenz was really Prince Heinrich. Did you know this at the time, sir? Of course not, snapped Blouse. And you, Private uh, Perks, would you have kicked him in the... Um, would you have kicked him had you known? Polly dropped a mug in her nervousness and looked at Blouse. You may answer, of course, Perks, said the Lieutenant. "'Well, yes, sir. I would have kicked him. Harder, probably. "'I was defending myself, sir,' Polly said, carefully avoiding further details. "'You couldn't be sure what someone like De Word would do with them.' "'Right. Good. Yes,' said De Word. "'Then you might be pleased with this. 
Our cartoonist, Fizz, drew this for the special edition. It was on the front page. We've sold a record number of copies. He handed her a flimsy piece of paper, which by the look of the creases had been folded many times. It was a line drawing with lots of shading. It showed a huge figure with a large sword, a monstrous monocle and a moustache as wide as a coat hanger, menacing a much smaller figure armed with nothing more than an instrument for lifting beats. In fact, there was a beat stuck on the end of it. At least, that was clearly what had been happening right up to the point when the smaller figure, wearing a not-a-bad-attempt-at-an-ins-and-outs-shako and a face that slightly looked like Polly's, had kicked the other one squarely in the groinal regions. A sort of balloon was coming out of Polly's mouth, containing the words... That's for your royal prerogative, you blackguard. The balloon issuing from the mouth of the ogre, who could only be Prince Heinrich, said, Oh, my succession, that such a small thing could hurt so much. And in the background, a fat woman in a rumpled ball gown and a huge old-fashioned helmet was clasping her hands to an unbelievably large bosom, staring at the fight with a mixture of concern and admiration, and ballooning... Oh, my swain, I fear our liaison is cut short. Since no one else was saying much, but was simply staring, de Word said rather nervously, Fizz is rather uh, direct in these matters, but amazingly popular. <clears throat> you see, the curious thing is that although Ank Morpork is probably the biggest bully around, in a subtle kind of way, we nevertheless have a soft spot for people who stand up to bullies, especially royal ones. We tend to be on their side, provided it doesn't cost us too much. Blouse cleared his throat. It's quite a good likeness of you, Perks, he said hoarsely. I only use my knee, sir, Polly protested, and that fat lady certainly wasn't there. That's more porkier, said de Word. She's a sort of representation of the city, except that, in her case, she's not covered in mud and soot. And I have to add, for my part, said Blouse, in his talking-to-a-meeting voice, that Borogravia is in fact larger than Slovenia, although most of the country is little more than barren mountainside. That doesn't actually matter, said de Word. It doesn't, said Blouse. No, sir, it's just a fact. It's not politics. In politics, sir, pictures like this are powerful. Sir, even the Alliance commanders are talking about you, and the Slovenians are angry and bewildered. If you, the heroes of the hour, could make a plea for a little common sense... The lieutenant took a long, deep breath. This is a foolish war, Mr. De Word, but I am a soldier. I have kissed the Duchess, as we say. It's an oath of loyalty... Don't tempt me to break it. I must fight for my country. We will repel all invaders. If there are deserters, we will find them and rally them again. We know the country. While we are free, Borogravia will be free. You have had your say. Thank you. Where is that tea, Perks? What? Oh, nearly done, sir, said Polly, turning back to the fire. End of CD 5